Welcome to Crackpot Cocktail Hour. I'm your host, Lacey Ramsey. And I'm your host, Alex Brennan. We are a podcast for the strange and unusual. Every other Friday, we release an episode where one of your hosts teaches the other about a topic or event that we find to be strange or unusual. On Monday, before the episode is released, we post our custom-themed cocktail recipe so you have time to get the ingredients and drink along with us. So sit back and relax. It's time for Crackpot Cocktail Hour. There's, there's stuff on your stuff. Stuff on your stuff. But is there stuff in your stuff? Uh, is there stuff up your stuff? Not that I'm aware of. Fucking hope not. <laughs> there's no stuff up my stuff. No one has time for that <clears throat> stuff. Alright. Alright. <laughs> How you doing? I am doing pretty good. I, uh, yeah, got shit done this weekend. Yeah. Hung out. Uh, got to celebrate friend's birthday, your husband's birthday. Yep. Yeah, I'm surprised none of us were dead the next day. Me too. I'm I'm very surprised the lack of hangover. Yeah, we did good. Can I ask you a small favor? What's up? I know you'll understand this, but I just sat down and I noticed that picture is crooked. And I, <laughs> yes. I fucking can't. <laughs> it's gonna be all I think about. Thank you so much. Alright, now I can focus. <laughs> to be clear, we're recording this in my living room, so I just had Alex's picture on my wall. I am exactly... You and I have spoken about this before, that it's very hard for me to get into a project if the room I'm in is messy in any way. Like, if there's something on the floor or something that just needs to be folded, I just I have, have to put it away first. I dusted, I swept, I decluttered, I vacuumed the couch. I was like, what a, everything zen in here so we can focus <laughs> on our recording. Keith doesn't care. Like, I will come back from, like, a two-day trip, like with like our group of friends and it will come back and there will just be like litter on top of everything and I'm like number one how <laughs> number two why <laughs> yeah I also yeah I just like I clean up as I go too so that at the end of the day it's not like there's packages strewn about my entire living space different strokes <laughs> uh, so I'm titling this episode you're certainly free to change it you come up with great titles I'm titling this one self-centered narcissist and how to spot them <laughs> I'm going to retitle that, who's the douchebag in your life? <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, this is a guide. Oh, wait. Uh, is there a little bit of Ted Bundy in him? Oh, would oh. you like there to be? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Uh, shall we try our cocktail? I am ready. Oh, my God. That's delicious. Are you sure there's alcohol in there? <laughs> I am. <laughs> I am 100% sure. So this cocktail is enough about you. Uh, that tickled me more than i thought it would (laughs) me too i'm really glad uh for this cocktail i'd like to highlight a source that inspired me uh kindredcocktails.com has a recipe called the narcissist created by johnny santiago he's a co-owner of a restaurant called joe's in new york that helped me to develop this drink it's definitely not the same drink and i've switched several elements up and kind of added my own twist on it so it's kind of like that plus a violet 75 but uh, we are reusing creme de violet and maraschino liqueur so it's part of making our drink model a little more sustainable (laughs) 
sustainable for everybody. We can kind of reuse some things and then um, I'll go over all the ingredients. But I wanted to highlight the source and also be like, hey, you know, you don't have to throw out that bottle of creme de violet that you're not sure you're ever going to use. No, just the one cocktail. Just the one cocktail. <laughs> and I tried doing it with just um, the violet because I feel like it's like a floral rich flavor that's like sweet and it felt very like bright for the narcissist as well <laughs> but the maraschino really adds depth and I was like both of those things are in the previous cocktail but I feel like this tastes completely different yeah it does it does taste very different from last week's cocktail so uh highlighting you know new new elements of the ingredients that we're using yeah last week's tasted more candy like it have you ever had sparkling sake Yes. It, it kind of tastes like that. Yeah, I yeah. totally feel that. So the Enough About You is one part each ginger beer, brut, and grapefruit juice. Uh, I chose brut instead of Prosecco because there's enough sweetness from the liqueurs already. I didn't want to overwhelm it. Mm -hmm. And it's a half part creme de violet maraschino liqueur, and then you add some mint leaves. The mocktail version is very similar. It's a part each of ginger beer, non-alcoholic brute, which you can find pretty easily, hmm. and grapefruit juice. And then a half part violet syrup. And you reduce the cherry element to just a dash because sour cherry syrup is going to be pretty potent. And so you don't want to do like a half part. You just want a dash of that and two to three mint leaves. And then the process is the same for both the cocktail and the mocktail. You muddle the mint leaves and juice in a mixing glass or in a shaker. You add ice and all the other ingredients and stir that until everything is good and cold and double strain it into a coupe and you garnish it with a slice of grapefruit and a mint leaf. It's very simple. It is delicious. And one of the things I did notice, because on our website I've started posting like the written out uh, recipe. Mm -hmm. And I think that's because on the on our very first episode of this season, we didn't have a photograph that had the recipe on right. it. Right. So I just wanted to share it. And I just decided to keep doing that because it's like, oh, well, this is actually, this is nice and easy. <laughs> okay, cool. And uh, I did notice that on the mocktail, like a lot of things were like moved to a dash. And that really surprised me. But now I know why. Yeah, um, I'm glad to explain that because I wanted the I wanted to keep the flavor balance the same, and so I didn't want to overwhelm it just for the sake of having the same proportion. Uh, I feel like the outcome is more important than keeping the procedure the exact same. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Yeah, I am. Um, all right, I'm gonna hop into this. Uh, many thanks to Alex's counselor who suggested this topic. <laughs> yes, thank you, Dr. Moore. <laughs> <clears throat> all right, let's get weird. Let's get weird. Buckle up, I've got a story to tell you. Imagine right. you are yourself in an alternate universe, alternate parents, no husband. You're Alex, still a smart, funny, empathic person. Aww. You have friends you love, and you're dating someone new named John. Well, it's been a couple months. It's been a confusing couple months. Things started out really promising. He swept you off your feet, showering you with attention and affection, giving really romantic compliments, telling you you're the most beautiful woman in the world and giving well, gifts. he's right. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's just telling the truth at this point and giving gifts that you appreciated, but at times you thought were a bit extravagant for how early on it is. He seemed really curious about your interests and he kept telling you how smart and beautiful you are, which, you know, truth. He told you he loved you in the first week and he asked you to move in with him after a month, which you've been considering, but you haven't done yet. Although you're pretty early in your journalism career, for the sake of this story, you've done well for yourself and found consistent income. I think I'd enjoy being a journalist. Go on. It's part of why I chose it for you. <laughs> <laughs> you really enjoy your job, and you recently won an industry award. That's right, I did. Congratulations. Oh, look at my Peabody. <laughs> <laughs> the award ceremony allowed you to bring two guests, so you chose your new boyfriend, John, of course, and your mom, because you knew she'd be proud. You oh. could have sworn John said he'd come. You remember talking about what you each would wear. But when awards night rolled around, John was nowhere to be found. 
he later told you that you two had never discussed the award ceremony. But I'm, I'm a journalist. Details are, are my job. Hmm. And he gets angry with you because you should know he goes to the gym every Tuesday night, so of course he wouldn't agree to go to your little award ceremony that night if you guys had talked about it, which you haven't, he says. You attend the award ceremony with your mom. You pose together in all the pictures, and you both have a pretty good time. You're surprised she wants to attend the after party, but she seems intent on meeting as many industry people and being in as many photos as possible. She isn't a journalist, but you're flattered she's expressing so much interest in your work. The next week, in the monthly professional newsletter you receive, <laughs> there's a picture of you both holding your award. Still hurt from John ghosting you that evening, you decide to call your mom for some advice. She answers, How's your day going? Mine is awful. Paula from across the street is planting dahlias, and she knows I've been planning to plant dahlias just as soon as my knee lets up and I can get back in the flower bed. She's trying to use my idea to make herself look good, and I'm fed up with it. Are you going to tell me how your day is, or do I have to drag it out of you? Mommy, why? You say, my day could be better. <laughs> I say, cool. <laughs> well, you're not loving this interaction? <laughs> <laughs> you say your day could be better. You ask if she saw the newsletter with the photo of you that you forwarded to her. She says, whoever publishes the newsletter must be good at Photoshop because you look thinner in that picture than you did that night. You look really good is what she's trying to tell you, is what she says. She says that she wishes they'd done whatever they did on you to her picture because her hair is weird. Don't you think her hair looks weird? She wants to know. Mom, I think you're being weird. Mom, I think we need to talk. <laughs> About my hair? I agree. <laughs> <laughs> Then you tell her. The reason I'm calling is I've been having problems with John. She says, Here we go again. What's he supposedly doing now? Is this still about that award show thingy? Honey, he never said he'd go. I'm sure you, he would have been bored anyway. Besides, it's good for us to go together, just us girls. Ouch. My, I think I need more of the drink. Hold on <laughs> one second. Come here, baby! <laughs> I knew I was going to have feelings in this episode. I just didn't realize it happened so soon. Yeah. Jesus. <laughs> It's a thrill ride right now. You tell her, of course, you had a great time with her, but you're still hurt he didn't go. When you told him how hurt you were, he said you were acting crazy, and he told you not to put your shit on him. You're wondering if he's right, that you're acting crazy. You thought you'd both agreed that he would go, but maybe you're wrong about that, you tell her. You say you do know he does go to the gym on Tuesdays. Your mom asks, Oh, honey, is this like that time that you wanted me to make you that big bird costume, but I told you I'd see what I could do, but then I told you I didn't have time, but you'd already built up your expectations that I'd make it so you got your feelings hurt, even though I never agreed to it? Because sometimes you misremember things, and you think people promise things they didn't. Ouch. And how dare you go after my love of big bird? Well, this Alex is a little less ballsy, and well, My she best said friend was gonna go with Snuffleupagus. <laughs> You say, I don't know, maybe. Maybe it's like that. I'm not sure. <laughs> she tells you you've always been pretty sensitive, and this relationship is a chance to toughen up and maybe work on that. I don't like alternate reality Alex's life. Yeah. I want to give her a hug. <laughs> Me too. You say, yeah, I kind of was just wondering if it was selfish to expect him to rearrange his schedule. Your mom says, of course you're not selfish. It's just that you naturally put yourself first a lot of the time, and you forget to consider other people's feelings. Remember when you were seven, she says. <laughs> You've gotten too old to believe in Santa, so I told you the truth. Describe my face. Describe my face. Alex's face. It's so, it's like, um, childhood trauma. It's, it's, um, she's so mad and hurt. She's turning red and looking upwards at the sky as if God might come down and save her. But he won't. <laughs> Just take me to Pandaland. I don't want to do this anymore. 
<laughs> well, you're gonna relive this time you were seven. Oh god. You gotten too old to believe in Santa, so I told you about it. And you cried and you cried about being lied to and things not being real, and I finally had to tell you how much it hurt my feelings that you were so upset. How I had spent years getting presents for you and pretending only so you would be mad when I stopped instead of thankful that I had done it. Sometimes you just forget about other people's feelings. I'm sure you don't mean to. <laughs> Alex is so mad. She's pursing her lips and she's refusing to make eye contact with me. <laughs> Lazy, I love you so much. <laughs> But I think we're going to have a long, hard talk after this episode. And I think we need a lot more alcohol. Oh, well, we have that. (laughs) (laughs) You in this alternate reality say, I'm I'm sorry about that, Mom. I know that was hard for you. I just, I feel like I'm going crazy. I thought John and I shared some of the same interests, and now he didn't show up for me, and he's trying to get me to try all his hobbies, and he won't even listen to me talk about mine. It's like he wants me to be like him, not like me, you know? Your mom says, well, we all have to grow and change sometimes, right? I know how you like to talk about your interests. Sometimes you can go on and on about stuff. And the other thing, you're like, yeah, I guess, mom. Okay, fine. fine. You're just kind of at this point Uh dealing with this. Uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Uh, you say, I guess you've said that about me before. Okay. Um, but another thing. He does keep implying that he knows or thinks I'm cheating on him. And I've never cheated on anyone. And if anything, he's the one who flirts with people when we're out in public, not me. He keeps making all these offhand comments. Your mom says, Cheating is just awful. I didn't raise you to cheat. Thank God I've never been cheated on. But I think, as the only one who really knows you, I'd know if you were a cheater. And you aren't. You hear her watching the TV on low. Here's some keeping up with the Kardashians in the background. I do want to take a little bit of a break here. Yeah. My real mom is actually very amazing. She's been incredibly supportive. I love her very much. This is mom. Why, this is fake mom. This, this is isn't why you. This is traumatic for you because it's not how you grew up, and you're like, what the fucking fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had friends like this, but yeah, we can. We'll get there. Uh, you hear her watching TV on low. You tell her, I've just been so anxious lately. Like, every little thing I do is wrong. Like, I can't be or do anything that's good enough for him. Your mom laughs and says, In my experience, you're the one who can't find a man good enough for her with all your expectations. You tell her, I don't know, maybe I do expect too much. He's a charming guy. He makes good money. He sees the good in me. I can't expect him not to see the bad, right? I can't expect him not to have his own life. I feel alone when I'm with him a lot of the time, but that can be normal, right? This is alternate reality, Alex. I know. Your mom says, relationships are a two-way street. You have to accept your responsibility in this. No offense, but you're never very good at that. You say, Mom, I'm not really sure that's fair. That's actually a bit hurtful to hear. She cuts you off. I'm sorry, honey. I'm afraid that's all the motherly advice I have for today. I've got to go talk to Paula about those flowers. Say, okay, talk to you soon. Love you. She says, okay, bye. Okay, bye. And see. So I need to go hop into another reality really quick. Kidnap other me. And prove to her that she can be a fucking badass. She deserves better than this shit. It would be so hard for you to hear because it's so not you. (laughs) And see, so here's my question. Who's the narcissist? Well, clearly not other reality Alex. I would say definitely the boyfriend and the mom. This has been a tale of two narcissists. (laughs) (laughs) True classicist you are. Your new boyfriend is an overt narcissist and dear old mom is a covert narcissist. And so we're going to unpack what both of those things mean. Okay. 
<laughs> I'm oh. gonna take a sip of this drink. <laughs> oh. I'm in pain. <laughs> yeah. I have to go home make more pancakes after this. Who hasn't had conversations with people like that, though? Unfortunately, yes. Um, I think I told you in like one of our first, one of our early episodes, that when my parents were getting divorced and I was going through a really hard time, because there was a lot of shit going on, like between middle school and the end of high school, I was trying to talk to one of my friends about it, and the reply I got was, sometimes you have a really bad case of the poor little me syndrome, and I was like, oh, okay, lesson learned, don't talk about things, just suck it up and deal with it. And also, if there was ever a time in your life to have a case of that, the shit that you were going through during that time period, Jesus Christ. This, this is, that was like at the beginning of like the trauma train. <laughs> yeah, okay, still. I can't imagine being a supportive friend and being like, mm, you need to get your shit together instead of just like having feelings about your situation. I have a really kind of sad story. I, cause I had really like taken that to heart. Like, oh no, you're not allowed to talk about this. Yeah. Like you, there's no space about this. Um, One of my friends, her family used to go on these ski trips to Colorado every year and her mom started taking me along with them. And uh, at one point we were walking around a mall and her mom walked up next to me and she, cause uh, my friend's like off like with her cousins or something, just like chatting and doing whatever. And she comes up next to me and she says, I noticed that you've been really quiet recently. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm just tired because that's the excuse you go to when you have oh, feelings yeah. that you can't talk about. And uh, she put her arm around me and said, I think I know what it's about. And I think I know it's about your family. And I want you to know that it's okay and it's not your fault. And I wouldn't let myself do it out loud. But I did cry. Aww. And I was just like, I just needed someone to recognize my pain. And for like two minutes, it wasn't my friend. It wasn't my other friends. It was this one mom who took like a moment to be like, look, I, I know what's going on. We need empathy. We need people to be like, hey, sometimes shit's hard and that's okay. And I'm here instead of like blaming people for their own problems continually. Conversely, <laughs> you also have to take responsibility for your problems when you realize there's a pattern in your life that's uh, you're causing all your own goddamn problems with your personality disorder. I believe we <laughs> call things. that the sucker rule. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not everyone in your life is an asshole. Maybe you are. Yeah. <laughs> I have a feeling we're going to get there too. All right. Disclaimers. You know I love a good disclaimer. <laughs> uh, I want to give the number for the National Domestic Violence Hotline. 1-800-799-7233. Or you can text love is to 1-866-331-9474. Or you can go to their website, thehotline.org. So it doesn't even have domestic violence in the title for the website. It's just thehotline.org and they have a live chat. So you could do that as well if you're not comfortable being on the phone. I love that. And I love that it's just called The Hotline because if you do have someone who's controlling in your domestic situation, your browser history isn't going to show I went to a domestic violence website. Right. It's still a good idea to clear your cash and your cookies and stuff though. Yeah. It's important to note that everyone exhibits signs of mental illness from time to time. <laughs> there is a reason that diagnostic criteria exist and include significant impairment as one of the criteria. Humans are different, and some level of many of these traits can be adaptive in some situations. You might see yourself in some of these traits. That doesn't mean you're a narcissist. In fact, if you're willing to examine your own behavior in light of how it is and isn't serving you, you are almost certainly not a narcissist. So breathe a sigh of relief. <laughs> If you're worried about being an asshole, <laughs> you're almost certainly not. <laughs> uh, highlighting a couple sources, there's a website called The Narcissist Family Files. It's got a lot of good information. Julie L. Hall is the author who keeps that up, and I bought her a coffee on the website Buy Me Coffee, which I nice. just discovered. The site Very Well Mind also has a lot of articles written and reviewed by mental health professionals. So those are the main places I'm drawing from. As always, our sources will be posted on our website for this episode. All right. 
before we go further. <laughs> Holy shit. So, it's definitely one that's going to make you feel some things. Okay, so listeners, you don't know this because this is an audio medium and you can't see us. Usually, I don't drink a lot of the cocktail during the episode, even if it's Lacey's episode, because I'm enjoying the conversation. I just downed my glass. <laughs> I think that tells you enough. I'm sorry for doing this to you. I still love you. I'm it's okay. I think I can bring this closer to my face. I know you're just hurting me because you love me. It's for the sake of education. All right. Um, so a little bit about just like mental health disorders, a little bit about mental health disorders in general. Uh, what's the difference between something like anxiety, depression, schizophrenia, and personality disorders? Like, I do not know. I'll tell you. <laughs> uh, you literally went to school for this. <laughs> it was mostly a rhetorical question. Uh, there are all kinds of categories of disorders in the diagnostic manual, which is how people diagnose you, the DSM, the diagnostic manual. Mood disorders, like depression and bipolar. Anxiety disorders, including OCD. Uh, psychotic disorders, like schizophrenia, where you lose touch with one or more aspects of reality. Eating disorders, substance use disorders, on and on. There's uh, so many different categories of disorders. Mm -hmm. What separates personality disorders from the other types is that the scaffolding of who a person is, how they react to stress, how they present themselves to the world is all centered around a common theme. Their personality is organized around this one central concept. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, so we all have personalities and we all have, you know, ways that we're used to doing things, habits, ruts, you know, lines of thinking that we repeat over and over. So that's normal and those influence how we react to things. But one thing that helps us is flexibility. We get to decide how to react to each situation. Even if we have habits, we still get to choose. People with personality disorders totally lack that flexibility. Their patterns are so much more rigid. Mm, okay. Uh, one thing that makes it really difficult to diagnose a personality disorder is that while the person with the disorder might experience significant problems related to it, they might not recognize that their behavior is causing the problems. Okay, yeah, that it, makes sense. It's that whole everyone else in my life is an asshole. Yeah. People with personality disorders tend to externalize blame. They're more likely to be seen in a clinic for issues related to another mental health issue like depression or substance use or relationship problems. Personality disorders are broken into three clusters. So uh, cluster A is the eccentric personality disorders. That's paranoid, schizoid, and schizotypal. Those are people with distorted thinking, some of that um, perceptual disturbances, social withdrawal. They, they tend to be kind of loners. Okay. That, well, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they have a skewed vision of reality. Then. Right, and so it kind of uh, isolates you if you're not living in the same world that everybody else is. Yeah. Cluster B are the emotional slash dramatic personality disorders. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> that includes narcissists. <laughs> uh, histrionic, borderline, and antisocial personality disorders actually oh, really? in that cluster, which uh, I also found really surprising when I first learned that. In cluster B, issues with impulse control and emotional regulation are pretty dominant, but I'd say they're significantly more obvious in antisocial and borderline, that impulse control, that lack of emotional regulation, mm -hmm. whereas narcissism strikes me as a little bit more subtle in the way that that impulse control like expresses itself mm -hmm. and then cluster c is characterized by pervasive anxiety this cluster includes avoidant dependent and obsessive compulsive personality disorders uh, ocpd is a separate disorder from ocd but they do share a lot of similar characteristics it's just that the expression is very different yeah. um, i've heard uh and correct me if i'm wrong mm -hmm. here like ocd is more of the I need to keep, like, checking my locks or else I'm going to die, or, like, uh, obsessive washing hands, where OCPD is more 
God, just close the goddamn cabinets. Yes, uh, OCD is. A, I would. I want to say it's a bit more um, structured. Mm-hmm. OCD is a bit more. Um, the obsessions and compulsions are specific. There's frequently numbered things or mm-hmm. specific fears, whereas OCPD is um, a lot more just like how you interact with the world. And like, I, I need like most of the people I'm close to. We all share some sort of OCPD. Trades yeah. because we all like like things neat and just feel better when they're calm and organized. Yeah, I think we just talked about how we need to have like a clean working. You had me cha- fix your picture before we yeah. started recording. Uh, but like again, part of the me part of the criteria for diagnosis is that it has to be impairing your life in some way. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think a lot of OCPD traits serve a lot of people, and so it wouldn't necessarily be diagnosable if it's not like actually fucking your life up or lives of those around you. <laughs> well, I don't know. I found you asking me to correct that picture frame very intrusive to my life. <laughs> I wouldn't have asked other people. I would have just sat here and felt anxious about it. <laughs> um, and that cluster seems to suffer a bit more self-restriction than others. They avoid or cling to other people and kind of rigidly follow rules to the point of alienating themselves. Mm. So we're going to be kind of focused deathfully on narcissistic personality disorder that's in cluster B. I just wanted to give us an overview of how this kind of fits in holistically to mental illness in general. Makes sense. Some of the uh, list of symptoms from the Mayo Clinic for Narcissistic Personality Disorder uh, include an exaggerated sense of (laughs) self-importance. I know that's a big shock. You don't say. (laughs) A sense of entitlement. Mm. Mm -hmm. The need for constant excessive admiration. That makes sense. Uh, Expecting to be recognized as superior even without achievements that warrant it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. I know. We've got some (laughs) Some some faces coming to mind. Uh, Preoccupation with fantasies about success, power, brilliance, beauty, or the perfect mate. Uh, Belief that they are superior and can only associate with equally special people. Monopolizing conversations and belittling or looking down on people they perceive as inferior. (laughs) Expecting special favors and unquestioning compliance with their expectations. (laughs) Alex's face is getting more and more twisted up. Her mouth is a tight little knot. Looks like a little butthole. <laughs> Taking advantage of others to get what they want. Demonstrating an inability or an unwillingness to recognize the needs and feelings of others. Expressing envy of others and also the belief that others envy them. <laughs> uh, behaving as arrogant, haughty, or conceited, boastful, pretentious, all those words kind of conjure that up. And insisting on having the best of everything, the best car, the best office, whatever, kind of being obsessed with that. <laughs> Alex, Alex's face is so tense. It's, it's really, <laughs> it's really something to behold. <laughs> Maybe we should have filmed this episode. <laughs> right. Uh, at the same time, people with narcissistic personality disorder have trouble handling anything they perceive as criticism. And in the face of that, they can become impatient or angry, uh, have significant interpersonal problems and feel very easily slighted, react with rage or contempt, and try to belittle the other person to make themselves feel superior. They have difficulty regulating emotions and behavior, which we touched on. Experience major problems dealing with stress and adapting to change. That's that rigidity. Mm -hmm. Feel depressed and moody because they fall short of perfection. And have secret feelings of insecurity, shame, vulnerability, and humiliation. I have so many thoughts. <laughs> Share some with me. I Well, I think some of these are things that uh, I think everyone listening to this episode has probably had an individual pop to mind. Maybe it was a coworker, an old friend, a family member, what have you. Um, so number one, I think we were all just like, it's just like, oh, that's so such and such. Uh, I think... I told you the last time I came over to record when we did uh, the Granger Taylor episode, mm-hmm. my Uber driver 
was one of these individuals. And I'm one of those people where I'm like, if you say nothing during the whole Uber ride, not only are you going to get five stars, you're going to get like the maximum tip. Same. I just want to chill in the car. What is your preferred music? Fucking silence. Total silence from you, from the radio. I just want to sit here with my thoughts. Dude, my driver today, he was efficient. He didn't say a goddamn word. I love it. Uh, And then he was very polite when I got out of the car. He was like, you know, have a great day. Enjoy the sunshine. I was like, awesome. I love perfect. Perfect. But this driver, he was like, I don't know what to talk about because it's so easy to offend people these days. So what do we make fun of? I hate the Uber driver who's faux afraid of offending you. That's just one of the worst. And so I said something like, I don't know, everything and everyone. And like, my thought was like, I know the creators of South Park are like, we can't draw a line because like the second we draw a line and we're like, oh no, we can't make fun of this specific group. Every other group's going to be like, well, why the fuck are they the exception? Right. And so I was like, I don't know, everything and everyone. He was like, I challenge that further. How about every thought? And then I was just like, you're one of those people that needs to be the smartest person in the room. Oh, yeah. I can tell right now that you... You're that person. And I was telling you about this and Mm -hmm. how I I hate that person. I'm like, there are some people in the world that just want to be the smartest person in the world and think they are, like this Uber driver. And then there are people like our friend Jeff, who just happened to be the smartest person in the world, who's also very generous and charitable and just the sweetest guy on the planet. And doesn't ever, like, make you feel dumb or, like, like, he's never talking down to you. He's like, wants to bring you into an understanding of the concept so you can share an intelligent conversation instead of being like, you're dumb for not knowing that and I'm smart for knowing it. Yeah. We love you, Jeff. You're a good guy. Yeah, we love you, Jeff. If you ever listen to this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Jeff, I've read two of your books now. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think everybody's probably got somebody in mind right now. I think you and I have someone in mind. <laughs> we for sure have the same. Also, I found this pretty fascinating. There's some research to support the notion that people who have a high level of narcissism but who are just under the diagnostic threshold, so like they've got a lot of these traits but it's still not enough to be diagnosed, mm-hmm. are actually more successful because of their levels of self-confidence and they might have even lower incidences of depression. So like, nothing that's ever wrong and their life is their fault and everyone else is dumb and like if you have a certain level of this it can actually get you pretty far i think about corporate culture i think about having to constantly sell yourself in the job world yeah that makes sense i remember there was a question on ask reddit one of my favorite threads that was uh why do girls like bad boys and my favorite answer was because they're confident yep And that's really what it came down to, is just because they're confident. If you believe you're the shit, other people are going to believe it too. Yeah. If you believe you're a piece of shit, that's also contagious. One of the the most attractive qualities in a human being is confidence. Yeah. A healthy amount of confidence. Right. Yes. And I think also in the United States, we overvalue um, individualism and confidence and all that. Yeah, there were parts where I was like, are we just talking about America right now? Salesmanship. (sighs) <sighs> we both just took a big, heavy breath when I said that. <sighs> all right, all right, whew, all right. <laughs> Shaking it up. This is a great quote. Rebecca Weiler, quoted in Healthline, says, Narcissistic personality disorder boils down to extreme selfishness at the expense of others and the inability to consider others' feelings at all. She says, quote, Narcissists punish everyone around them for their lack of self-confidence. I might be skipping ahead, but how much does a psychopath or not psychopath, uh, sociopathic personality disorders or sociopath being a sociopath 
tie into being a narcissist? We definitely will get there. There's a type of narcissism called malignant narcissism, which is Mm -hmm. where it's narcissism mixed with antisocial personality traits. Uh, And so I do think that there is some overlap. I think uh, antisocial is definitely um, always more deliberately harmful. Well, I meant um, uh, how sociopaths in general. That's uh, the diagnostic term for sociopaths. Okay. I did not know that. Yeah. Psychopath, sociopath, uh, the way that that is diagnostically uh, termed just in the psychology, psychiatry community is antisocial personality disorder. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. So uh, same thing. A lot of people do like to draw distinctions between them, but the none of the education that I've ever been through has ever done that. Okay, good to know. <laughs> yeah, you can find a lot of articles online that are like, this is a difference, and I'm like, it's, it's the same fucking thing. It's just two words. It's two to three words for the same thing. Uh, <laughs> yes. So you might be thinking it would be really easy to spot a narcissist. After all, they're the person who's making sure they're the center of the attention. They never admit they're wrong. They act superior. Like... Come on, it's relatively mm-hmm. easy. We're all thinking of one. But part of the difficulty is that not every narcissist dip- displays every symptom. You know, that long list I read, it's not every narcissist has all of those. And another part of the problem is that the nature of narcissism means these people are unlikely to really open up and talk about their feelings. And so you only really have like their behavior to go off yeah, of. Yeah, that makes sense. It's not really like an open relationship where you can be like, oh, you've described X, so I think you might have this. And then we're going to be focusing on a third problem, which is that there are actually different types of narcissists. Covert, overt, malignant, and non-malignant. So what's the difference between covert and overt, just in general? Um, covert, uh, it's more hidden. You don't see it as much overt. It's more obvious. Exactly. Yay! <laughs> uh, covert narcissists behave in ways that are more subtle. Whereas the overt narcissist is mostly self-aggrandizing, the covert narcissist might say self-effacing things. Like, they're not always going to be like, I'm the best. They might be like, ugh, I'm the worst. Mm. Oh, God, I say that sometimes. Well, we all But I also feel like I am the worst sometimes. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Their need for recognition might not be as apparent. Mm -hmm. They might seem more introverted and less like the center of attention. It can take a lot longer to recognize this type of narcissist, especially if you're close to them, Mm -hmm. because they have gotten used to manipulating you in such a way that it's not apparent all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. So it may be after kind of a long period of time where you've been like, there's just not a lot of reciprocity here. Like, I just feel very much like I'm the only one really giving of myself in this situation. That's kind of the light bulb that goes on for a lot of people around covert narcissists. I have a few new names popping to mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that one's trickier. Uh, And the overt narcissist will play up their accomplishments and downplay yours. The covert narcissist, also known as the hypersensitive the closet narcissist, the vulnerable narcissist, the introvert narcissist, they will frequently intentionally downplay their actual accomplishments to get people to speak up and be like, no, you really are great. No, your hair did look good, mom. Fishing for compliments. Yep, exactly. (laughs) Which, again, we all do to a certain extent. I mean, yeah, we all do. (laughs) But, like, we're talking consistent patterns of behavior. Uh, They might even take partial credit for your achievements. Like, standing in a picture at your award ceremony and making sure that they're also holding your award. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that makes me feel dirty. Uh, the, overt, the overt narcissist will demand attention, but the covert narcissist will be a bit more circuitous about how they get attention, sometimes faking medical issues instead of just loudly demanding attention. So it's um, much uh, trickier to suss out. Uh, giving backhanded compliments is another trait of a covert narcissist. Oh, God, I, hmm. Like, you looked really thin in that picture, way thinner than usual. 
<laughs> so if, if you haven't uh, caught on yet, what I'm setting up is uh, very much like mom is this covert narcissist mm-hmm. in our story. And like, you're kind of used to like, you're also like, we're also all used to a certain level of criticism from our moms. <laughs> like, it's just part and parcel. <laughs> um, and then, you know, boyfriend is much more the overt narcissist. Who, yeah. Like, just kind of expects you to cater to them. <laughs> Uh, the covert narcissist is going to seek reassurance. Um, they're either smart enough to hide their true intentions, knowing that being narcissist is going to be off-putting, or they've been socialized in such a way that directly expressing that need for admiration isn't allowed. I think the reason that the statistics say more men are narcissistic than women is because more men are overt narcissists. Yeah, I think there's a big truth in that. Um, I was... As you know, I got my hair cut the other day. Thank God it's dead. Looks great. Thank you. I was talking, I was fishing for a compliment there. Um, <laughs> I was talking to um, my to the guy cutting my hair and I said, out of curiosity, like, what do you love about people when you get haircuts? And like, what drives you up the wall? Hmm. And he was telling me about how he really hates it when people like tell him uh, how to do his job. He's like, when guys will come in and be like, I want a fade that's like a zero here and then a one here and then a two here. And he's like, I went to fucking school for this shit. (laughs) (laughs) And he was telling me that guys are actually fussier at hair salons than women are. Interesting. And it made me think it's like as women, we're always supposed, we're always almost instinctively apologetic because we're kind of conditioned that way. Mm Where guys are like, well, no, I want it exactly this way. I want to get it this way. Whereas women, it's like, no, don't be a bother. Yet we get the rep for being the dramatic ones. I wholeheartedly co-sign that. I think um, there's a certain level of societal conditioning about how much space we're allowed to take up physically and emotionally. And I think men definitely, not, you know, not hashtag not all men, but I think in general, men definitely like feel more entitled to that space. What, there was like a thing a few years ago where they were saying that when a woman is asserting herself, when a man's asserting himself in the workplace, he's a go-getter and he really knows what he's doing. And But if a woman's assertive in the workplace, she's bossy. Right. Yeah. And we have to be much more circuitous about getting attention or admiration or showing that we're good. If we just like say like, well, this is an idea and it's mine and it's good, it's going to come off differently. Yeah. Um, so I kind of think that's uh, definitely kind of falls along gendered lines, in my opinion. When it comes to putting others down, the overt narcissist is more likely to be directly shaming or sarcastic, but the covert narcissist is more likely to gently explain why something is your fault. Mm-hmm. And they might even act like the victim of your behavior when they've done something wrong or upsetting, insisting that you comfort them when they have just hurt you. Well, I don't know what to even say around you, because everything I say just seems to upset you. <laughs> is that one you've heard? Yeah, that's one I've definitely heard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then they feel better and you feel small. And it's like, great, cool. You're the asshole because you hurt me, but I guess I'm the asshole because I got hurt. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Another trick of narcissists that I think is more effectively deployed for covert narcissists is gaslighting. What's gaslighting? Oh god, that's pretty much when someone rewrites your memories. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, causing someone to doubt the nature of their perceptions or their reality and second-guess themselves. It's really like a tactic used to undermine self-confidence mm-hmm. and like to undermine somebody's like ability to reality test and be like, oh, I get maybe I am losing it. 
Oh, he doesn't do this anymore, but my dad used to be really bad about this when I was younger. Mm. He would, uh, my parents divorced when I was younger, and he would say things like, okay, well, I'll call you this weekend. And then I wouldn't get a call, and, like, I would eventually, like, a few days after, like, that time had expired, I would give him a call, and he would say, oh, I was waiting for you to call me. And he said that on so many occasions that I eventually, at first I was like, but I could have sworn you said you were going to call me back. Maybe I got it wrong. And then the next time he said uh, that he was going to call me on a certain day, I wrote down, Dad will call on this day. So I knew I wasn't losing my mind the next time he said, oh no, I was waiting for you to call me. It can be tricky. Yeah. And especially when it's somebody that you trust, because you're like, why would they lie to me? Or like, why would they say that? Like, it doesn't... My dad and I have had a very tricky relationship. I wouldn't say that I trusted him at this <laughs> And now That's in my fair. life, he's he's done a lot of like self-reflection, a lot of changing. At this point in my life, I trust him with pretty much everything. Back then, not so much. That makes sense. <laughs> Especially, you know, based on his behavior. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, it's, it's causing somebody to doubt their own like reality, basically. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot easier to manipulate or exploit somebody who is full of doubt about their own thoughts and what they think they've seen or heard. Yeah, like, oh, Lisa, are we still going to the bar tomorrow? We talked about that at Heath's birthday on Friday. Are you are, are you still down? <laughs> you know Drunk Lacey makes plans. She never intends to follow through. <laughs> Sober Lacey wasn't there. You need to bring it up with Drunk Lacey. <laughs> <laughs> drunk Lacey's like, yeah, I'll go to the moon. We want to do that yesterday. <laughs> I love Drunk Lacey, but I do always let Sober Lacey off the hook because there are times where I'm just playing to Drunk Lacey like, oh, yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, in the morning, we're going to wake up and go on a hike. It's 8 a.m., you think? Yeah, probably. (laughs) I love all versions of Lacey. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Um, Yeah, so it's a lot easier to manipulate someone who is full of self-doubt, and especially if they feel forced to rely on your sense of things, then you get to dictate what the reality of that relationship is. Um, So forms gaslight can taking is uh, lying about things that happened or didn't happen, calling you crazy if you try to hold them accountable, and undermining your confidence in yourself with digs at you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not great. Mm-hmm. Uh, both covert and overt narcissists can either be malignant or non-malignant. And again, these are kind of newer um, categories that I think people are still just like, the research on personality disorders is still just very much in yeah. its infancy. I think like, especially since for so long research was like, we're gonna study only white men, we're gonna generalize it to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so I think hey, you like, mean there's a problem with that? <laughs> I know, crazy. Uh, and so like these subcategories, I think are still new and somewhat plastic. Malignant narcissism is narcissism with antisocial or sadistic traits. There is also frequently paranoia associated with this type. So instead of being indifferent to the pain that they cause in others, which is general like non-malignant narcissism, mm-hmm. like the, the hurting others is incidental <laughs> in that type. Uh, malignant narcissists enjoy creating distress. So whereas narcissism is a little bit more reactive and it seeks to prop up the narcissist ego, antisocial personality or sociopathy is more cold and calculating, using people as a means to an end. So narcissists, that's where the impulse control kind of comes in with narcissists. It's just they kind of lash out in response to feeling wounded or stung. And there can be, you know, there can be some methodology to it or some intentionality to it. But when you get to that level, it starts becoming more malignant. Mm -hmm. They also like, so uh, malignant narcissists might even apologize here and there, which like narcissists don't generally do. Mm -hmm. Narcissists won't apologize or they'll say like, I'm sorry if, which is not an apology. So there's a thing, I've told you this. Mm -hmm. It's a piece of wisdom that I took from a terrible TV show. (laughs) (laughs) What show was this? It was from Lost Girl. It was that show about the succubus from Canada. It's, it is not a great show. 
But there's an episode where one of the main characters is trying to apologize to someone and she begins to and she says, I'm sorry if blah blah but and the person interrupts them and says, no apology with the words if or but count or, yep. or matter. It's so true. And that's like become like one of my mantras. Like it's it's putting the responsibility back on the person that you hurt. Yeah. Not. I'm sorry if I hurt you. And it's like, that oh. wasn't my intent. It's your fault that you got hurt. Exactly. Instead of like, I'm sorry that I hurt you. Or I'm sorry, but mm-hmm. my intent was this thing, which is why you really shouldn't be upset. So that is a super, that's a real narcissist move. But a malignant narcissist might apologize if they think that in the long run, it's going to contribute to whatever their end goal is. Mm-hmm. Like it's a lot. They're willing to sacrifice that little bit of ego here and there for or whatever they're trying to get to. I might get some leverage. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, okay, well, if she's about to bail, then I have the thing to do is to apologize, and then she'll stick around for a little bit longer. I can change. I promise it won't happen again. Mm. On VeryWellMind.com, Arlen Kunzik states, quote, sociopaths are more like classic con artists, while narcissists are more like hurt children lashing out and faking superiority to hide their pain. That makes sense. Yeah, and so, like, again, there can be some dovetailing, and, and as with any, like, psychological disorder like you can have more than one yeah you know no one you you, it's not necessarily well you're only a narcissist you can be a narcissist you know and have antisocial personality that would be so horrible for the people in your life yeah (laughs) Uh, i need to go pee but before (laughs) before i do that i'm gonna say that we're gonna take a moment to discuss narcissistic parents there's a subreddit out there called uh raised by narcissists devoted to the topic and there's a whole bunch of blogs and websites i think the last decade has been really good for people starting to unpack this <laughs> Great face. Go go pee. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna leave you to think about that. We're uh, we'll talk about this. Am I being charged for this session? You got any bourbon? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. What do I have? <laughs> got vodka. I've got. Well, we've got that bottle of bubbly. We could just drink more of that. Oh yeah, yeah. Feel free. Yes. All right. Okay. <laughs> Deep breaths. <laughs> Deep cleansing breath. Another disclaimer. <laughs> Considering narcissist parents, you may see some of your parents' behavior in what I'm talking about. If you're a parent, you may see some of yourself in what I'm going to talk about. Personality disorders are about pervasive patterns, not about failures everyone goes through from time to time. It's about consistently being this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also want to make the point uh, that my opinion, I just, while researching this, I just unearthed a new opinion that I'm pretty excited to share. Yeah. And it's that Munchausen and Munchausen by proxy are actually and should be characterized as very specific expressions of covert narcissism. That makes absolute sense because you want the praise, either if it's Munchausen, then you want someone to be worried about you all the time. But if it's Munchausen by proxy, oh, you're such an amazing parent for taking care of that sick child who's not really sick or that you're making sick because you're actually a terrible person deep down inside. But oh my God, look how wonderful you are. And those are gendered almost exclusively. Those are diagnosed to women. And so that's how I think covert narcissism tends to express itself in women. Again, I don't think it's the only expression, but I do think it is a specific type. So what you're saying is now we're just going to talk about Gypsy Rose for the rest of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) And I think like women are expected to be in caregiving roles. And so it makes sense that this is kind of a natural expression of this narcissistic need that we don't have another outlet for. If you have this narcissist inside you, what do you do with it? So it's not Florence Nightingale syndrome. It's... Nurse Ratchet syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> Nurse Ratchet is definitely just antisocial. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
All right, narcissistic parents. A narcissistic parent, much like a narcissist romantic partner, will see you as an extension of themselves, not a whole other person. So they're going to be probably more about keeping up appearances and concerned about how you make them look, not about how you're feeling or doing. Yeah. <laughs> Does that track? <laughs> Uh, they might be more concerned about your clothes and behavior and how people see you and not, yeah, your needs. Additionally, a narcissistic parent might actually go above and beyond volunteering at the child's school or in different organizations the child is involved in. This is born of an ego-boosting need and not born of a, I want to be a helpful person or a member of the community or like, ah, people expect me to also help out and I got to take my turn. Mm -hmm. It's, um... Frequently, they'll, like, be the shining star in public, and then, like, the child will not have all their needs fully met at home. Okay, so is Christina Applegate in Bad Moms? I have not seen that. Oh my god, you need to watch it. The child's emotional needs have likely not been consistently met by a narcissistic parent, which makes sense, because how can you meet someone else's needs if you're just focused on your own needs all the damn time? So the child may have learned early on that the way to be good in their home is to not have any needs, let alone any wants. The child may have been made to feel shame for basic needs like medical care or using the restroom. Since their emotional needs weren't met, the child might have learned to try and bury their feelings, which can make them more isolated from other people and lead to break up, breakdowns and blow-ups when they can't hold it in anymore because nobody can hold in all their feelings all the time. If a person has a narcissistic parent, it's possible also for them to take on some narcissistic traits because we learn how to behave based on the modeling of our parents. That's all we have to go on when we're little. Mm -hmm. So we learn this is how people behave, this is how people get their needs met. A person with a narcissistic parent might also become a perfectionist because falling short of perfect feels scary and punishable. <laughs> they might learn to take care of others to the point that they neglect their own needs. On the occasion when their needs were met, the narcissistic parent likely expected the child to be very grateful and to not take their generosity for granted, so they're overly appreciative of being treated with basic decency. Alex's face is turning red again! <laughs> yep! I have some feelings. A lot of feelings. <laughs> so, uh, walk me through some of uh, what your internal landscape is. She's got her hand on her heart. <laughs> um, Redacted. Just know Alex talks about some personal shit. You've been through some shit. Been through some shit. I'm definitely uh, feeling some of the things that you're talking about. I know, and you know, I've talked about this. I am a perfectionist. I do reflect my worth and how much I can contribute and. If I'm not contributing, if I'm not doing a good job, if I feel like like not enough is being done, I will push myself into exhaustion just to make sure something gets done and done correctly. And and you are conditioned to do that. I'm feeling so good. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's not your fault. You've come a long way. We have very much repaired our relationship since then. But that doesn't mean that the damage hasn't still been done. And I think that a lot of what growing up is, is kind of taking stock of childhood and what your parents did for and to you and kind of deciding, like, how, what's my relationship with that going to be? Mm -hmm. What's my relationship with them going to be? And I think in the case where a parent is still actively harming you consistently, then it's totally appropriate if you distance yourself from that parent. Mm -hmm. and it makes total sense. And if a parent is willing to engage with you meaningfully and work on stuff, then why write them out of your life if you want mm -hmm. a relationship? Yeah. So I think it's really healthy and mature to be able to evaluate those things and decide. I also, uh, as a former counselor, I'm going to throw a special caveat in there as <laughs> well, which is you. I think that's amazing and also like still very legitimate to mine through and continue to process that trauma and continue mm -hmm. to, I think of growth as a spiral and we kind of encounter the same points just on a deeper perspective every time we come back around to them. Mm -hmm. So that's just my piece about that. Yeah. 
don't delegitimize your own childhood pain because the picture is better now. Mm-hmm. And I Thank you. you. I love you too. <laughs> I just might be hugging myself right now, guys. She is. <laughs> it's good. <sighs> so you were saying. We'll keep going. Keep drinking. <laughs> I gotta say, my I've been very lucky in that I definitely know and have known and have loved some narcissists, <laughs> uh, but I think my own family childhood trauma picture is much more um, substance and bipolar <laughs> I don't know if lucky is the word, but I, I feel uh, personally less scathed by this episode in that, in mm. that sense. Not unscathed, just less scathed. <laughs> Different types of scathing. Yeah, the degree of scathed. <laughs> The person, a little bit more about narcissistic parents, and then we'll move on to protecting yourself from narcissists. If a person grew up in a home with a narcissistic parent and has a sibling, it's possible that the kids got pushed into the golden child role and the scapegoat role, the golden child who can do no wrong, reflecting the narcissist parent's idealized self. This is the best version of me as in this child. And the scapegoat who can do no right, reflecting the parent's rejected shadow self. This is all that's wrong with me. This divides the family and pits them against each other while keeping the focus on the narcissist parent. So nobody's getting their needs met and they're mad at each other for whatever role that they're filling. I love you, Alex. <laughs> I'm so sorry to put you through this. The face that I'm seeing you make is like painful. Can confirm. <laughs> and this is a thing in uh, dysfunctional families. There are lots of different dysfunctional family roles that kids go into, and sometimes those change over time. Sometimes they'll flip depending on like how many kids are in the family, like depending on lots of different things. Like, but one of the hallmarks of a dysfunctional family, just like one of the hallmarks of a personality disorder, is inflexibility. Mm-hmm. You are this role. You are this person. You are the whatever. And it takes a lot of family inertia or a big event for those things to really change. A child with a narcissistic parent might have been put in an emotional caretaking role for their parent, which means that the child's needs weren't getting met, and they learn that the only way for the kid to be loved is to meet somebody else's needs. You can't be loved just for who you are or being yourself, you can only be loved for what you do for me. So there is a fair amount of damage that can come from a parent consistently behaving this way. It undermines confidence in yourself. As with other types of abuse, it might take time for a person with a narcissistic parent to realize that they were the victim of emotional abuse, and a good therapist can be super helpful in packing that. Or a good friend. Or a good brute. I love you so much. (laughs) I love you too. I I always put in charge of a lot of things that I should not have been put in charge. I I do relate to a certain extent on this one. Um, Sometimes the term for it is parentified child, where um, for whatever reason, one parent relies super heavily on one kid. And it's not like my mom made me feel responsible for like basic needs of the family or anything, but my dad was just emotionally checked out really. And so he was working and kind of not really a safe space and she didn't really have anybody to fucking talk to. Mm -hmm. And so I felt kind of hyper responsible for things like, you know, making sure things were clean. Like my favorite book when I was a kid was We Help Mommy. Oh God. (laughs) (laughs) And so like there's certain different degrees of this that can happen in any family. And my family was for sure dysfunctional. I'm not going to say we were functional. Um, So I I have an element of being able to relate to that. Um, But again, I felt like I was shielded from the more like practical aspects of that, which I appreciated. It was more just emotional caregiving and less like Mm-hmm. keeping secrets and things like that. Oh, yeah. I have all the secrets in my family. But, I mean, but then I have one friend who, uh, her family, she was always responsible for her younger brother. Mm. Like, if he chose to do something and he messed up, it was somehow her fault. 
So who's the scapegoat? Who's the golden child? Yeah, and then she, additionally to that, like when she was 18 years old, she got a job and she was expected to buy groceries for the household and she was expected to provide for the family, like fresh out of high school. And this is someone who graduated from high school with honors and a full ride scholarship through something that we call the Millennium Scholarship in Nevada. And she had to end up dropping out of college temporarily just so she can take care of her family. And she'd only worked so hard on that just so they wouldn't be so pissed at her. And the song Fast Car by Tracy Chapman comes to mind. Oh, that's a great song. Somebody's gotta take care of him. So I quit school and that's what I did. I love Tracy Chapman. Oh my god, I've... Now you're bringing me back to the 90s. <laughs> you I <remember>. fast car. <laughs> Driving all night. <laughs> That's what we need right now. We need a fast car to take us to Pandaland. <laughs> Where did we first reference Pandaland? We need to give the people... The simulation episode. Simu- go back to the simulation episode if you're confused by us. Continue to bring this up. We're not explaining it again. <laughs> we just want to go to Pandaland. <laughs> Alright, so this concludes the portion on narcissist parents where there's a tiny subsection at the end about like dealing with narcissist parents. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just... I'm gonna get drunk today. Yeah, that's alright. <laughs> I will do so with you. <laughs> That's what I appreciate about you. <laughs> All right. How to protect yourself from narcissists? With a gun? Fuck. <laughs> That's so funny you said that because be aware you might be a target. It's the first thing. <laughs> uh, so the things that make you a um, great friend are things that narcissists are going to eat up. <laughs> uh, empaths are a narcissist fucking dream. Oh my god. Oh, because they want to help. Mm-hmm. So if you're highly attuned to other people's feelings, so you're like, oh, I sense when something is off. I can feel that they're in a bad mood. And then you're made to feel responsible for that for whatever reason. Then it's just, oh, I've got myself a whole emotional caretaker all to myself. And they sense I'm feeling bad and I don't even have to tell them why. They just show up and try to help and make me feel better. And who I had a really intense friendship like that for multiple years. <laughs> this is where I start getting triggered. I was going to say, it's time for Lacey's story time. <laughs> uh, oh man i um yeah i had a friend who definitely I, I didn't even realize you know it took me a long time to realize what was happening because it was a female friend mm-hmm. and i'm a fucking empath and i want to help and i have learned this friend helped me learn that i am drawn to people who will use my empathy for themselves and yeah. not give anything back you can use a name, I'll substitute. <laughs> um, so I learned from that. I'm Burger. I learned from. Uh, I learned from. I learned from. Those are three friends I've named now that I've gotten involved with and been like, oh shit, what am I doing? And it's because I want to fucking help. And also, I'm going to admit to a little of this myself. I have that streak of perfectionism and it's so much easier emotionally, like especially in the beginning, to be there for somebody else than to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. Than to be like, oh, I have a feeling and I'm hurt and whatever. And so sometimes there's a, for me, there's a certain level of comfort when somebody is so wrapped up in their own shit that they're not going to like take the time and be like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. (laughs) What's your whole fucking deal? (laughs) (laughs) I've I've had friends... um, Especially really flattered me a lot at the beginning. Um, there was a lot of gift giving at the beginning, which like, that's also just not my love language. Like if you know me well and you want to get me something that you think I'll like, great. But like, if you don't know me well and you're just starting to give me gifts at the beginning of a friendship, it's a big red flag for mm-hmm. me, partly because of that friendship. I think the only spontaneous gift I've given you were butthole cat posts. 
which Ghost is her. excellent. And that's <laughs> on brand for me. Very lacy. And so I, I've learned that something in me is that I'm definitely drawn to these kinds of people and they'll just eat it up. They just, they love it. They, oh man, if we could just talk about me all day. And then also because one of these friends, <laughs> trusting you to boy about all these things. Yes, I will. Um, you know, people with mental illness also have careers, including mental health sometimes. And so a lot of the form that her narcissism would take would be when we've talked about her enough or when she's feeling vulnerable, she would start digging in my shit. So it'd be like, okay, we've talked about you and your shit. And then she would like kind of lash out at me in this like, oh, well, do you think that's like, do you think like because you're that way because your dad was that way? And I'm like, we're not talking about any of that. We're uh, at Wendy's and you just said you were having a fight with your husband. So I don't know what that has to do with fucking anything, but I'd rather you not drag my trauma out to make you feel better. <laughs> Holy shit. I know you've told me this before, but like every time you tell me, it's just <sighs> yeah. Uh, there was a there were occasional like I'm worried about you, uh, and I'm like why? And I was like you've been drinking, and I'm like yeah, um, we all drink. Yeah, we're <laughs> we're at a bar quite a bit actually. <laughs> at least I'm not drinking fucking Malibu, but that's another story. That's the same okay, story. now I feel attacked. <laughs> it's like all she would drink. Oh wow! Oh, so wow. yeah, I mean, I was gonna say I love Malibu, but I love coconut flavored stuff. Like yeah, all tea, no shade. I'm just saying, like, switch it up. So all that to be said, like the the friend thing really fucking triggers me. And again, like I don't, I don't know, I don't think my mom's a narcissist, but I do think that you know part of being parentified kind of. I'm already empathic and then I learned we'll just show up for people. People mm -hmm. fucking need you. Like, if you have needs or wants, like, maybe those are somewhere in the background and we'll get to those. So be aware. If you're an empath, you might be a target. We also, as empaths, we make people feel seen. And that's all narcissists fucking want is to be seen. Oh, see me, know me, recognize me, and how awesome I am. And so where it gets hard is if you are the kind of empath who is truly a good friend, then you'll eventually, when people come to you with emotional vulnerability, give honest feedback. And your feedback won't 100% of the time be, I don't know, everyone else is awful, you're the greatest, I'm not mm -hmm. sure why people are treating you this way or why are you having these problems. You occasionally will have to be like, I mean, I do think you might be contributing to this in this specific way, not to be an asshole, but like to help you out as your friend, like, and they can't take that shit at all. Like, that, yeah. that honest feedback. It's not my fault. It can't be my fault. Or, and this is what this friend would do, it's crushing. It's devastating. And so it's a covert narcissist thing. Instead of like, it's not my fault. It's you've destroyed me by giving me honest feedback. Like you have hurt, you victimized me with your honesty about my character and my behavior. Then don't fucking ask. Oh. Sorry, this reality Alex has some feelings. It's yeah. taken a lot of time to get this amount of confidence for this reality Alex. Right? This reality, Alex, once you know that you are loved, that you are fucking awesome. Thank you. And if I'm being a dick, please tell me I'm being a dick. Fucking same. God, it's like my biggest fear. <laughs> <laughs> that and butterflies and suffocation. All right. <laughs> For me, it's needles and spiders. I've, I've titled this next defense. Do be suspicious. Do, do be, be suspicious. suspicious. Do be suspicious. Do be suspicious. Do be suspicious. Tenchika's stand is off! If someone seems too good to be true, very quickly over the top romantic, very initially flattering in a friendship, lots of gift giving. Dear John, dear John, dear John, dear John, dear <laughs> John. Dear John, oh my god, dear John. Total like example of this. If you if something feels weird, it probably is. Trust yourself. 
Alex and I talk a lot about what we call your amazing theory that what we call psychic intuition or like psychic is just people having pattern recognition that mm-hmm. is not wholly conscious. Yeah. And I think that's what a lot of gut feelings are where you're like the pattern is off. Something inside of you is like, mm, this doesn't feel right. I don't know why. And we can talk ourselves out of that feeling and be like, well, but he's a good guy. And like he's only ever been nice to me or yada, 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 yada. But if it feels off, fucking trust that. Yes. And I think you said this either last episode or the episode before is that we don't utilize that like gut feeling. We don't realize how much process is going on in our subconscious and how much we need to fucking pay attention to that. Yes. And I think small soapbox, I think part of that is capitalism because it wants to divorce us from our feelings because if Mm -hmm. we're not attuned to our feelings, we're just attuned to what we should be doing, then we function as a cog instead of, you know, choosing in each moment how to respond based on my human experience. Yeah. I'll step off that box for now. I can 100% say Every time I've ignored my gut, it's bitten me in the ass. Yep. Yep. And I listen to it, like, every time I make a narcissist friend, I get to this point (laughs) faster and faster. So I'm learning to trust myself better. Uh, another good defense is strengthen your relationship with yourself. It's about that gut feeling. Spend time doing things that help you connect with yourself. Journaling, or if you're not into journaling, art, whatever kind of art you like, listening to music, whatever it is that helps you feel connected to you. So that your internal voice is strong enough that when the narcissist tries to talk you out of your beliefs or talk you out of something that you've gone through, you're not as easily swayed. Mm -hmm. And this is part of the reason dovetailing with domestic violence and abusive relationships, this is part of the reason that um, people can be targets if you don't have a lot of self-confidence. In, in the same way that ha- being having too much confidence is like a narcissistic risk, kind of not having very much confidence can paint you as a target for this kind of person because they think you might be easily manipulatable. That doesn't make any of their behavior falter on you, even if you have low self-esteem. Mm. It's not your fault for being victimized by a narcissist. It's just something to be aware of. Oh, we talked on, I think, our Satanic Panic episode that it's very tricky to get out of domestic situations. And sometimes the best thing you can do for someone that you know is in an abusive situation is to just be present and to support them. Because sometimes telling them, you know, your boyfriend's a fucking dick might make them defensive and might make them run away. Or worse, making your friendship conditional on them leaving this person. It's going to backfire and then they're going to be isolated. Yeah. So the best thing you can do is just to be there for your friend and to be supportive to your friend in the ways that you can be. But that's my little soapbox thing about domestic violence. It's never your fault as the victim. I don't care what you said or what you think you did that made you think you deserved it. I don't care. Sometimes he, she, or they are just like this. It's not your fault. You don't have to put up with it. And And there are people that love you. And it is frequent. It's frequently something that starts out slow that you won't realize is happening for a long time. It's it's the slow conditioning of teaching yourself to devalue yourself and so that when you're in this point, you feel disempowered and mm-hmm. like you don't have other people to turn to and people can be really isolating you and keeping you from your friends. And so there's a lot that go, a lot of manipulation that goes into keeping a person in an abusive situation. So if you don't let yourself feel, I don't know, like you're doing something bad or wrong if you have to do whatever you need to do to survive or stay in a situation <laughs> to sur- fucking fucking mm-hmm. survive. Like, don't blame yourself. You have to figure things out. You have to get resources. You have to have people that are going to support you. Yeah. I mean, this literally happened to Supergirl. I know, uh, Melissa Benoist, who plays Supergirl. Oh. She uh, used to be on Glee, and that her character was kind of like in a sort of not relationship with the character writer. Mm. What's his name? Uh, Blake Jenner. 
The two of them actually started dating Ang Lee. They got married, and she revealed about a year ago, because she had since divorced him, that he had been abusing her for almost their entire marriage, and she went into details about the things that happened to her. And this is someone who on TV plays Supergirl, the most positive out there superhero. Empowered. Who's, yeah, who's always rainbows and sunshine, who's always truth, justice in the American way. Yeah. It even happened to her, and she made compromises for it until finally she said one day someone asked her about it, and she finally for the first time said that it was happening. Yeah. So this can happen to anybody. This is a powerful process of manipulation. Yeah. Also, we love you, Melissa Benoist. <laughs> she is so fucking incredibly talented. A few more bits on how to deal. Pay attention to how you feel before, during, and after spending time with people. This applies to literally everyone all the time. This is just a bit of normal advice. Mmm, mm, mm, that is the best piece of advice I've ever heard. Go on. <laughs> if you are consistently drained after spending time with a friend, consider the possibility that they are taking much more in this relationship than they're giving. It's acceptable to back off from friendships in which you are only giving and not receiving, or if you're giving and receiving in ways that don't matter to you. Again, I've had friends who I felt like that they were basically paying me for my empathy. They had no empathy to give back, but I got a bunch of gifts. And I'm like, I don't give a shit about this stuff. I want you to listen to my problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want you to care about me. It's Invest in me. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, you know, sometimes our friends go through shit. I've been the draining friend before. Sometimes somebody just needs time to vent for a while. That's not yeah. the same thing as a narcissist. Like, this is a continued pattern of how things go for a while. It's not just like, oh, well, Lacey's been depressed lately, so I'm gonna stop talking to her because she must be a narcissist. <laughs> just disclaimer for everyone. No, people go through shit. Yeah, and so, like, I, I don't want to be like, just because your friend is draining you right now, like, they're a narcissist. <laughs> <laughs> But if this is a consistent pattern, if you just keep noticing that's how it is for you. This is actually going to be an anti-narcissist comment. Okay. I've noticed because we have our group of friends, the Quarren Queens, mm -hmm. that speak on Marco Polo almost daily. But I have noticed that we've been like reluctant to completely vent to each other about what's going on because it's like, I still want to give you the space to vent because I know like this thing happened to you. I know this thing happened over here. And it's also 2020 and everything's on fire. And it fucking sucks. We've got like our sub polo group where we like <laughs> vent so other people can still have the space in the main group. Yeah. And I do also love that in our group of friends, whenever something happens and like one of us is like feeling like shit, there's like everybody else is like, no, you are fucking amazing. <laughs> I do like that. We're very supportive. Yes, I do love our group. This is me being a narcissist about our non-narcissistic group of friends. <laughs> so that's kind of how to protect yourself and keep yourself from being a target. But what if you think you're already dealing with a narcissist? What if they're already in your fucking life? What do you do? Get a gun. <laughs> Realize their behavior is more about them than it is about you. They are experts at dodging accountability. Nothing is their fault in their minds. And so they aren't going to accept responsibility and they're going to try to make you feel like everything that's wrong in the relationship is your fault. My bad. <laughs> They'll blame their manipulative behaviors and lack of emotional engagement on your faults. Well, I mean, maybe I'd be more here for you if you weren't X, Y, or Z. Um, you know, Lisa, it's your fault for being blonde. <laughs> you know, I regret that every day. Since narcissists are always gathering evidence that they're the best and everyone is the worst, they're going to have a lot of ammo against you should you call them on their shit. They're going to call you on 40 more things because they're keeping this ledger in their head about how much better they are than everybody. So you can't buy that. That's going to be the messaging. It's not their fault. You can't buy that. Relationships yeah. are two-way streets. Maybe some things are your fault because you're a human, but <laughs> if there's a pervasive pattern of them making everything about them, that's their fault. 
I know everyone listening to this episode is having some feelings. I know. Everyone's like, oh, God, I know that person. You have to set boundaries. You have to decide what you are and are not willing to do and stick to it. Even people who aren't narcissists sometimes struggle when others set boundaries. It can feel like a rejection when someone says, I have limits to what I'll do for you. That can That's not easy for most of us to hear anyway. But while a healthy person might not like it or protest or try to even talk you out of it here and there, a narcissist might be unable to tolerate boundaries and might try to manipulate you or try to break those limits. They're going to test them. They're going to see if you actually mean it. It's going to be a lot more that kind of behavior. So what are your values? What are you willing to do? And what aren't you willing to do for another person? These are legitimate questions to ask yourself Mm -hmm. and get grounded in your own truth about. Yeah. If the narcissist is your boss or someone you have to deal with, like a coworker, boundaries are still important. It could be helpful for you to avoid being directly confrontational with them. Don't confront them in a group or they're going to blow back whatever that is onto you and make you look bad. The Mm -hmm. whole thing is making themselves look good and other people bad. So uh, I would not suggest (laughs) calling them on their shit publicly. They fight dirty. Yes. What if your parent is a narcissist? The same boundary setting applies to your relationship with them. It can feel more complicated to negotiate a relationship with a parent because you might feel responsible for them naturally as parents age. That's Mm -hmm. part of it. So part of narcissism is making you feel responsible for them. You have to kind of work to untangle what's a healthy amount of feeling responsible. What's What's a healthy level of expectation to set on a person for their parent? Or what are you yourself willing to do or not do? Again, stay connected to your own feelings about things is the main main thing that's running through all of this advice. Mm -hmm. You get to decide your relationship, how long you're going to speak to people, how frequently you're going to talk, what you're going to talk to them about, how much you are going to emotionally engage with people that Mm -hmm. you still have to deal with who you've realized might have some of these traits. Yeah. If you're dating a narcissist, recognize that nothing- Dump them. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Recognize nothing is ever good enough for them, including you and including themselves. Build up a support system of friends that actually listen to you and care about your well-being. And as Dan Savage says, dump the motherfucker already. Yeah. DTMFA. Once you realize you are in a relationship with a narcissist, this is a totally optional relationship, just fucking leave. Just mm-hmm. seriously, I know it's frequently more complicated than that, but I want to be very clear. Yeah. And honestly, even if you're married to a narcissist, it's harder to exit a marriage than it is a boyfriend-girlfriend situation, but you're going to be so much fucking better off. Yeah, this is, it's not going to get better, mm-hmm. this relationship, almost certainly. Uh, Psychology Today, there's a great quote from Christy Lee Hochenberger. Quote, Love is not romantic to a narcissist. Rather, the partners are merely there to fill a gap and complete the narcissist's image. They don't just want arm candy for a party or handsome face alongside theirs in social media posts. They need it to complete the image of perfection. This is why it's so easy for a narcissist to ghost a partner or love bomb a new date. There are no actual feelings involved for the narcissist. There's no affection behind the flowers, words, or actions. Everything a narcissist does is simply a means to an end. <sighs> True words. Another, another quote before we wrap up. Clinical psychologist Dr. Angela Grace, quote, You cannot change a person with narcissistic personality disorder or make them happy by loving them enough or by changing yourself to meet their whims and desires. They will never be in tune with you, never empathic to your experiences, and you will always feel empty after an interaction with them. Narcissists can't feel fulfilled in relationships or any area of their lives because nothing is ever special enough for them. The best thing you can do is cut ties. Offer them no explanation, offer no second chance, break up with them and offer no second, third, or fourth chance. 
Because a narcissist, this is from me, because a narcissist will most likely make attempts at contacting you and harassing you with calls or texts once you've rejected them or left mm-hmm. them and they've realized that's what's happening, it's okay to block them. It's okay to take steps to protect yourself and your identity and your life and your space and your well-being from somebody who is not going to make your life any better. Mm-hmm. Block them, stick with your decision, strike a match, and burn that bridge, baby. <laughs> yeah. Carry a book of matches and burn all the bridges you need. That's my advice. But, oh, God, I this was a heavy episode for me in case my multiple facial expressions didn't really give that a I know it was a heavy episode for you too because like mine was more parental semi-friends yours was turns heavily. out this is who I this is who I go for this is my we fucking we didn't even time. talk about turns out there's a lot of narcissists in this world <laughs> uh, but no I think this was a great great episode um one thing I'd really like to do since you put together like the like bullet points of like what to do to just, like separate yourself from a narcissist I would love you to send that to me so you could put it on the website okay cool yeah I can probably clean it up and make it a little more succinct yeah because I think just like a good like checklist I don't expect people to be at home taking notes but i think it's just i think it's perfect thank you i appreciate that um are you ready to share what your uh next topic is what our next episode is going to be on yes um it came to me in the shower i'm gonna write it down uh so i was thinking even though this episode is going to be the first episode released in october Mm -hmm. the next episode is going to be the first one we record in october Mm -hmm. so to get ready for spooktober I'm doing the Salem Witch Trials. Oh, hell yes! That's gonna be awesome! And you, Abigail Williams, can give me your opinion. <laughs> I saw Giddy Proctor with the devil. They danced in the moonlight. <laughs> so yeah, I think, I think we're gonna have a lot of fun with this one. And for as quote-unquote witchy as I am, I have not done a witchcraft episode yet. Yeah, I think perfect timing. That's right? really great. Yeah, I'm excited. Ooh, cocktails are going to be fine. Oh, yeah. I'm fucking excited. (laughs) As always, thanks for listening. We've got an outro that we're going to play instead of me saying nonsense. Bye. Bye. As always, thank you for listening, and if you like what you heard today, please leave us a positive review and a five-star rating, and tell your friends. All of that helps people know who we are so that we can bring you more of what you love. If you'd like more information on a specific episode, visit our website, crackpotcocktailhour.com, and click on the episode's link. If you'd like to know when new episodes are coming out and see the cocktail recipes in advance, subscribe to us in your podcast app and follow us on social media. We are Crackpot Cocktail Hour on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest, and we're at Crackpot Hour on Twitter. If you've got feedback for an episode or would like to suggest an episode topic, feel free to email us. We're crackpotcocktailhour at gmail.com. Until next time, Crackpots, crack, crack it, it like it's hot! hot.